Hey, welcome everyone to the Untitled Art Podcast, recorded live at the 12th edition of Untitled Art here in Miami Beach. My name is Anichka. I work in exhibitor services and communications here with the Untitled team. Jonathan proposed this discussion titled Making and Claiming Space to use as an opportunity to hear from often underrepresented voices in the art world. This discussion is a chance to dive into questions like, what does diversity look like in positions of power? While we're seeing an uptick in artists of color, queer artists, and women, what about the underrepresented individuals behind the scenes? We're here to learn how the panelists' points of view can shape the contemporary landscape. What an amazing group of panelists Jonathan has put together. Thank you for organizing this conversation, and I'll let you take it from here. Hi, Terry. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you all for coming to this panel. Um, as Nishka said, I'm Jonathan Carvermore. I am the only and first and openly gay black male gallery owner in all of California. Um, and well, thank you. Uh, and on this panel, though, you know, I've really, since I've lived in uh, San Francisco for about eight years, I've curated a great group of colleagues and friends, um, artists, curators, collectors, and more and above and beyond, of course. But this panel is really showing us what we have in San Francisco that people often overlook and don't see. Um, and I wanted to bring us all together as Bay Area creatives. So who we have here um, is Casey Jung. She's exhibiting here at Untitled. Uh, Natasha Becker from the De Young Museum. Storm Griffith, a uh, great collector, techie, friend. <laughs> uh, and Mari Robles, who's the executive director of the Headlands um, and Marin. So, of course, as the title is, Making and Claiming Space, I really wanted us to have the opportunity to sit and listen to individuals as an artist, as a curator, as a collector, as a director. How do we all fit in this space and what we can do together? Um, you know, the first thing I would like to start off with is Casey. How do you feel as an artist, you being a Taiwanese artist, a woman, um, an immigrant, how do you feel we have supported you in the Bay Area? And we'll take it from there. Um, hi, thank you so much for the question and thank you everyone to be here. Um, so to respond to your question, um, how do I feel about being an artist in Bay Area? And I think that related to my personal background. Like I was doing cancer research before I became an artist. So I always trained in Taiwan um, as a scientist. And that's the reason why I moved from Taiwan to United States. And I do feel the society in Taiwan really pushed me stay away from art because art was considered a hobby in Taiwan. Um, and I think moved to United States the society, like seeing people in my lab, they don't take things outside of their professional training as the only thing for the purpose of life, really help me to liberate how I can choose my life path. So I think from there, I um, decide to take a leap to starting as a wedding photographer. And um, Bay Area is a very liberal um, place with both our, um, biotech and art. And that kind of environment helped me to take a leap from my previous profession to a new um, 
of、uh, new career paths and help all these people have this、um, very supporting environment for emerging artists, like from zero to something,、um, a whole community build up a career.、Um, for like, there's a reality we have to survive. We have to get training. It's something I'm very grateful to be part of the Bay Area community. Is that answer your question? Yes. <laughs> Thank you. And Natasha, you know, I know you've been now in the Bay for a couple of years, being at the De Young. How do you feel we all stick out and stand out in San Francisco? Because I, I think we often get this、um, part of the community is like there's art there, but we don't stick out like New York and Los Angeles. And I feel like while I'm a gallery that's wanting to represent marginalized communities, I feel like San Francisco overall is somewhat marginalized when it comes to the arts community. How do you feel like you fit in that space as a curator at a museum in the Bay Area? That looks like. Thank you, Jonathan.、Um, it's great to be here. Well, I loved what、um, how Casey described her experience because I think that the Bay Area. Is a place where you can meet people like Casey,、um, like myself, you know, like you, like Marie, like all of us here, where、um, you know people come to、uh, really delve into their creativity, where there's a community of really creative people who have very unconventional roots to art, often actually, and you know, yes, it is a smaller city. But for me, moving from a big city like New York to San Francisco has actually meant that、um, it's you know it's a more human city. Getting to know people is really easy. You know, getting to know the arts community and its diversity and you know its challenges and also the the things about it about that community and about the city that really do give you joy. You know.、Um, That has been new and an, and a bit of an adventure.、Um, I think that for most of us, we could probably say that we've always been somehow in marginal spaces. You know,、um, I, I like to, of course,、uh, share with people that I was born and raised in South Africa and grew up, you know, loving art, but also seeing the inequalities of art, and then being in the art world, whether it's New York City, whether it's in San Francisco. Um, really, always there's always a few people of color in the room, anyway. You know, so for me, it's I come from it more from the perspective less of marginality than of you know what can I offer and contribute to that space. You know, how can we fill that space? How can I bring、um, the artists that I care about and the art and the ideas and you know the practices into that space and and also you know bring.、Um, The people that I want to see into that space. So for me, San Francisco, yes, it, it it is a little bit, you know, to the north of LA and most sort of art world centers.、Um, but it is a center in and of itself. And I think sometimes not having, you know, the glare of LA or the glare of New York on you all the time is actually a good thing because, like many artists, you know, you can be more creative and you can take more risks and you can experiment and you can, you know, really develop something over time. I think the advantage of being a little bit away from all the activity 
and like I said, the glare also and maybe the competition and the hyper-professionalization, you know, and the market and all of that is um, that as a curator, certainly I could incubate something at the museum that wasn't there before. And so that for me is the most exciting part about being there. You know, that's so interesting because we're obviously we're a tech-centered um, community and I feel like it gives us the bandwidth and the confidence to act as your own startup, right? So you can really just do what you want to do and show what you want to see. So Storm, as being a person that has been a part of tech groups, how do you feel like that has influenced your input and vision on art in the space and working from a startup mentality? Okay, well, um, I came to the Bay Area a few years ago. I came in because of technology I was working on. I'm a VR game designer myself. I make uh, like immersive game worlds that a game I was working on called Onward takes place in. So I was already like kind of deep into the arts um, from a child. I loved art um, in my hometown of Tacoma, Washington. I was collecting art and interfacing with a lot of artists, kind of a lot of underground art community there too. Um, and when I got down to the Bay Area, you know, I had heard a lot of stories about how San Francisco was and like how I guess people like me would come in and we're changing that kind of for the worse. So I kind of wanted to not do that. So I came down, I came, I came down to the Bay Area, hopefully um, not just like stomping around and looking at pretty things and wanting them and just like having them and uh, taking the whole scene for granted. But I kind of wanted to delve into it on a personal level, get to know the people that were making the art um, and face-to-face -face conversations, visit their studios. Um, you know, I have some artists that I collect in this crowd today. So it's like, um, I really want to see those faces over and over again and help um, ideally like cultivate their legacy in some way, be a patron, help them along, um, have them bounce ideas off of me and not see me as like this alien entity who's like just come into your society and like wants to, you know, I guess uh, extract value is what I hear a lot of people say. Um, so um, I, I came in and I met all these amazing people who just kind of welcomed me into the space. As genuine as I was with them, they were that genuine with me. So I hope that my contribution, if any, to the art world will be helping to break down the barriers between, you know, these kind of two parallel societies that have been growing and bubbling in the Bay Area and have kind of come to a head, especially in like recent times, economic downturn and, you know, a lot of people vacating the city who came there just as quick. So. I'm sticking around. I moved here in the pandemic. I intend to stick around in the Bay Area, keep contributing to the art scene, keep meeting new artists, collecting their works. And, you know, um, when I get up every day, I like look around my space. I'm calmed by those memories. And it's not just the artwork to me, it's the, the story that goes with it. And Mari, you know, I know you're new, not new, but newer-ish to me, to the Bay Area, but coming from the Met. Also, how do you feel like you contribute as being the executive director at Headlines and when it comes to showing artists and what you want to support, how to support them? Sure. There's a lot of, um, there are some common themes, I think, that I, that brought me to the Bay. Um, and one of them was just the humanness of the city um, or the area. And this idea that, um, you know, Headlands Center for the Arts, which is a residency art program, um, it's an art center, but it's most well known for its residency program, which means that we house artists. And the idea of having like deeply in deep relationship and being able to go deep 
um, with artists and understand how to support practice in a really holistic way was something that brought me to the Bay. It's something that brought me to Headlands. Um, and coming from the Met and the museum world in general, it, it was, you know, the idea of how do you how do you holistically think about um, the arts community, right? And and it just it felt like because we were centering dinners and exchange, um, it felt like an exciting opportunity at a moment where the pandemic had hit and we were all looking for a little bit of shift and change. And I definitely was part of that kind of like wanting a new path. Um, by the way, Casey is actually a former alumnus of Headlands Artists in Residency Program. So there's a common thing that we have here. We're really trying to show up for the Bay Area and show all that we have to offer. Um, Natasha and Storm, can I ask you two about your recent experience in the art world in San Francisco as far as collecting and then also as curating and what you're wanting to show in the future of the museum and in Storm, what you're thinking about when you're acquiring at works as well? Sure. Sure. Thank you for the question. So when I arrived at the museum three years ago, there wasn't a curator dedicated to the arts of Africa before me. And in stepping into that at all, it meant that there was now a full-time person to really, you know, care for the collection, do research on the collection, engage um, visitors around the collection and really do this deep dive into, you know, what is what a collection is, what is its significance, how can we activate it, you know, how can we learn from it. So for me, um, that was a big, you know, uh, it was a big change in, within the museum to have somebody permanently there because you could imagine uh, what it would be like to not have a curator there, right? So other collection areas have curators, but there's one collection area that doesn't have a curator. And so, you know, when you are there as a full-time curator, you are always advocating for your collection, you know, making sure that um, things are being properly taken care of, making sure that, you know, there are public programs about the collection, uh, making sure that there are donors and supporters and, you know, bringing people in who really want to be engaged and involved with the collection. So that was very new for me as well because I'm a contemporary art curator, but um, it was very exciting to have this opportunity to work with a permanent and historical collection because I do think deeply about the past as a contemporary curator. And so that critical thinking about the past in the present um, was very exciting for me to have the opportunity to, you know, sink my teeth into that at the museum. That's the one part of it. And then the other part of it is that I've been able to, you know, as do assessments of the collection with consulting curators and see that the real area of growth for the collection was in the contemporary because it was mostly historical. And so while there are strategic individual acquisitions and gifts that continue to come to the historical collection. We could also work with the head of the contemporary program at the museum to think about who are the artists from African diaspora that we could bring in that could both complement across our departments. And so that's been very exciting. And I think we went from having maybe three or four contemporary artists to, you know, um, 
like more than almost 20 in in this time both through gifts as well as through purchases of artworks you know some significant so to me that is a way to contribute to you know um claiming that space and um having having artists have the opportunity to be in the collection and visitors the opportunity to see their work there and then um, the third aspect of it has been also launching an exhibitions program that is specifically focused on contemporary African artists who are deeply engaged with their own history, with their own cultures, with the legacy of art and culture in Africa and with our collections who are inspired by historical works. And I think that connection between the contemporary and the historical is something that we don't see very often um, or if, 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 you know, we, an artist like, let's say, Simone Lee, who was representing the U.S. at the Venice Biennale, the entire pavilion was really a homage to, you know, her, um, her African roots, one could say, but also to African art practices that has reinvented and inspired her work, right? So that's just one example. Um, and so for me, making those connections and really um, unpacking those connections, I think that's the way that we could make our collections much more interesting to audiences today, but also put them in the present and have them speak with contemporary artists to, you know, uh, respond to the issues of the day because we experience them in the present. You know, we know that these are objects from the past, but how we encounter them is right now. And that's different to how we might encounter them 20 years from now or 20 years in the past. And so I feel that they are very much a part of the changing world. Um, and that's been exciting for me to develop that program and to think about the artists and, and bring in those artists and, um, you know, have uh, launched that kind of exhibition program. Thank you. Storm, how is it for you as a collector and wanting to support individuals that um, maybe we often don't see that getting the time and the space to be shown and when you're curating and buying your own artworks for acquisitions, what does that look like for you and how is it important? Well, for me, I, uh, I don't really have like any formal art training and art history or curation or anything that um, would give me, you know, a traditional credential. So I really just got an art because I found the things beautiful and moving to me. Um, of course, I wouldn't have um, the collection I have or near the knowledge I have without the support of the people around me. I think one of my biggest supporters is sitting in the crowd, Renika over here. Um, she is my partner of six years and we've been collecting art together. So uh, at first, you know, it was just kind of me in my bedroom with like some of my friends' artworks from around me uh, from Tacoma and I got them through like trades or like maybe I gave them like a 50 spot or something. And uh, that was what we did. And that's just how we got by then. But um, once I met her and uh, I got into my job, it allowed us to move out to the Bay and really start to actually make these connections. It costs, strangely, it costs money to do things and actually get in these groups and spend time with people. Uh, you have to have time where you're not working. You're not focusing on the struggle and surviving uh, to actually be able to get out there and meet these people um, while they're doing the same thing that you're doing. So once I got that, I was like, okay, we 
we need to go out, we need to find like individuals. So I searched around, I was like, okay, how can I get into the sphere fast? We went and we went to gallery openings, local places. Uh, one of the first places we went to was Colt Amy Freeberg. She's exhibiting here. Um, and we got to know her uh, on a good personal basis. When Jonathan opened his gallery, he had always been talking to me about uh, up and coming artists and people to watch uh, and stuff that he thought was interesting and, and tangible. So I was always listening to that and just kind of keeping my ear to the ground. Um, from there, our collection just kind of blew up really fast. I think there's this like sticky thing about art collecting where like once you, once you get a little taste of it and you get like the people around you and you hear their stories and you go and you see their practice and like you, you, you know, it's not just a face anymore. There's this humanized thing happening with it. You're just like, okay, I, I see your perspective. I see that this is unique and I want to like preserve it, right? And encapsulate that. So we ended up grabbing a lot of different work from, you know, um, sculptures, paintings, um, even people from outside of the United States. Um, somebody that Jonathan put me on to recently, uh, Apler Doku Borlabi, um, out of Ghana, I believe. Um, I acquired a work from them recently where they're using like coconut skin to um, make these very bold, um, like character paint paintings um, with oils also. And um, when I saw stuff like that, I was just like, this feels innovative. It feels fresh. It feels um, like a way that I can help to uh, encapsulate this moment, support these creatives, make sure that they get to continue their practices, keep this uniqueness going, and eventually hopefully get it out to like the global sphere, right? Um, and then hopefully one day I can actually meet these people in person. But most of the art I collect is on um, a personal basis. I usually know the artists that I'm collecting face-to-face. Uh, -face. I see them, you know, not on the daily, but at least on the bi-monthly or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Mari. Um, I think specifically around uh, thinking about the role of the artist in terms of like arts participation, when I think back on my earliest experiences, how I got closer to the arts, it was through the opportunity to meet with an artist and they helped to like make it um, uncover the magic of the arts and art making. And so I really feel that when in this conversation around equity and access and particularly how we connect, how organizations and people connect to communities, that the artist is a very key factor in that. It's like institution, artists, communities. I think that is fertile ground um, to, to mine. And, and, you know, the artists are always leading the way. Um, I feel like we're at least uncovering truths for us about our world. And that idea of world making, it's, it, it can open in all of us, whether you feel like you're close to the arts like a collector or a curator or, or less close, it can open in all of us this possibility, like an invitation that feels um, like there's a way in. And that's kind of what at Headlands we have been thinking about a lot because, because we have open studios on a regular basis. Um, the unpreciousness of, of making an a, a arts participation moment, like I remember seeing um, Shara Mays, who is, a, <laughs> who is a Bay Area artist, walk on her painting when I first got to Headlands. And especially because of my museum background where you don't touch anything, <laughs> I was like, <gasps> um, um, but that idea of like being in the studio space, having something be in process, that's something that really can, can just un 
again, just really connect with people. And I think that's, that's what I'm most excited about and thinking about kind of like the role of the artists and, and Headlands and the Bay Area as being a fertile ground for that too. How is it when selecting artists for Headlands, you know, when you're thinking about different mediums, backgrounds, what does that process look like for individuals that may not understand what that is, residency program? Yeah, you know, when I first arrived at Headlands, one of the things that I was most impressed by was that they had been doing that kind of equity work way longer than that the 2020 moment, right? The George Floyd moment. Um, and part of that was with panel review. Like our artists are select by, first by discipline um, based on panel reviews from uh, experts and curators and organizers across um, the field. And so one, I love that because I don't personally have to take the onus of <laughs> like we're really relying on on other people, but also with this idea that um, we're trying to we're trying to think about equity and and diversity right from that right from that moment. So it starts with about thirty people that are panelists, and then it sort of um, gets closer and closer to the selection process. We start we interview about seventy five uh, artists for what ends up being about 50 spots. And part of what Headlands is looking for is artists who are at that moment of it, like that inflection moment when you are on the cusp of some sort of new incarnation. Um, and thinking about how, because it's not just visual arts, it's musicians, theater makers, how that can be a really, a group that kind of plays off of each other, a cohort that will take uh, each other to the next level at Headland. So that's that's a little bit of the of the process. Thank you. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because Casey's work I'd seen, you know, of course, on Instagram. And then I visited her when she was at Headlands. Um, so I would love to bring it back to you as the artist and your perspective on what that looks like for you and participating in programs like this. Also having, you know, you were my inaugural show at the gallery, right? And we we both said we've, we took a chance on each other, right? Um, and what does that look like for you, the entire background? Let me not speak. Um, so I can talk a little bit about my uh, experience with Helens. Uh, so I think I joined Helens um, one year after I graduated. And that experience is really helpful for me to grow because um, I was in an MFA program at San Francisco Institute. And MFA program, you have different people coming different from discipline and mixed together. And we only exposed to this school kind of safe umbrella inside a bubble. But once you graduate and Helen's provide, let's uh, uh, curate different artists from different level. So that's the first time I can learn more directly from artists that are more established and also from different schools. Like we have graduate fellow program, we have affiliate arts program that's more for local Bay Area artists, but we also have an international program that's for more established artists coming from all over the world. And that kind of environment really helped me to open my eye and to be able to see their process, to be able to expose to um, curator, collector, museum people outside of a school and to see and learn directly from all these people. That's really different from school experience to me. Thank you, Casey. Um, I know that we have 
a few more minutes for a Q&A, but can we just talk about fun things? Like, what are we all looking forward to in the Bay Area and the arts community? Like, what's bringing us joy? What are you excited to see? What do you want to see, Natasha? <laughs> um, well, what brings me joy is, you know, learning about artists and art and sharing what I learn with artists and art. That's really at the heart of it. And as a curator, you get to do that in many different ways, you know. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing this exhibition that I'm working on, which hasn't been publicly announced yet. So I can't say who it is who it is but it's the second artist in this new contemporary African art program and just you know working with her um, is so exciting and being able to share that with um, visitors at the museum but you know the Bay Area in, in general and um, realizing you know this year of work within an exhibition is is for me very exciting you know to be able like Marie was saying too that you know artists really are um, at the heart of what I do and it's that was really the starting point um, and 20 years later people always ask me how do you choose the artists that you decide to work with etc but it's actually it's 20 years of learning you know and of relationships and of like just being deeply involved in what you do and so the artists um, ultimately it's about you know bringing um, to all those things together to say you know this is this is the idea this is the exhibition this is the talks program, the public public program. This is the publication. This, you know, this this is all the everything that that the whole conversation that is around um, the artists. And you know, there's probably a hundred artists that I would like to do solo exhibitions with. There's probably a few more group shows I'd love to do. I always say, you know, there's too many artists and life is short. <laughs> so, you know. Um, that's what I spend really 24-7, uh, you know, is around art, seeing art, looking at art, speaking to artists, reading about art. I mean, that brings me so much joy. And, and that's something that if I'm not connected to that every day, then I feel very frustrated. And sometimes it's just listening to a podcast, you know. Sometimes it's just calling up an artist and checking in on someone. Sometimes it's walking around the galleries when nobody's there because that's such a privilege, you know, and being really able to commune with the art. So I try to find, even if um, I'm not physically, you know, connecting with an artist in person, um, there are so many other ways that I find I can, you know, get that um, connection from. And that's really what sort of brings me the, d the deepest joy, yeah. All right, well, that's hard to follow. I, <laughs> listen, I've only been in the game for a few years, right? Like, legitimately going to, going to shows, you know, take, doing the hard work, taking the hours to go to studios, talk to people about their work, understand them as people, remember their names. Um, it, it takes a lot of effort, just like you said, and I hope to one day become this, like, well of cultivated knowledge on all, all this art and be able to spout off, you know, a hundred things, but right now I'm focused on the near term. Like I, I'm looking forward to, you know, 
getting back to the show and like talking to these artists and asking them what they saw around and asking them what they liked and talking with them about like, well, why do you feel that way? Um, can you tell me more? Like, does it inspire you? Um, I'm constantly searching for like inspiration where I can go next, even with my own work um, personally. And a lot of that comes from my interaction with art and the uh, people who create it. So um, uh, next year I'm gonna go to the uh, Biennale in Venice. I'm really excited about that. Um, uh, from here, I'm looking forward to local shows that are coming out. John, you're gonna have a new show in the new year that I'm looking forward to. Um, I really had an amazing time coming out this year and seeing Casey's work. I was really excited um, to see new pieces from her. Uh, I have a couple works by her and I went to Headlands and checked out uh, when you had your, uh, your residency there and uh, we had a very long conversation. Um, that really left me feeling like just good and like feel uh, full and fulfilled. So if I can capture more of those moments, um, you know, I'll be in it for the long haul basically. Thanks. I think um, I'm most excited about partnering and part of it is because I feel like there's this amazing energy in the Bay, um, in part because there's been these stories about the Bay that have been focused on, right? That um, everybody, I think most of us are trying to counter and just show like, here are the beautiful things that are happening. And because of that, Jonathan, you and I have talked about like doing different things uh, together for around Fog Fair, DeYoung, I can't wait. <laughs> um, I know that we're talking about uh, a dinner at some point that because you told you said you cook, you know, all of these things um, that basically make your art community feel more full. Um, I think those are the things that bring me like constant joy about working in the Bay is that it feels very like it you can this can happen. This stuff can happen. Thank you. And, you know, you all now have five touch points. If you've never been to SF, you know how to find us all. Gallery, artist, curator, collector, executive director, and we would all welcome you to come visit because we really do believe it. But what I love about this panel though, also outside of, of course, talking about art, is that we really all collaborators and we want to see each other all win and be supported. Um, so if that's hosting a dinner, if that's making sure someone's getting eyes on a new artist, if that's bringing an artist that maybe somebody else passed on to a gallery that's new and is willing to give them a shot, that's what I realize we all do and support here. So I appreciate you all. Does anyone have any questions for us? Oh, yes. You know, in the theme of the title, Making and Claiming Space, can you share a little bit more about your story of being the first gay black gallery owner in a what's known as a marginalized tenderloin community, what your story has been to make and claim your space in this world, because I think it's beautiful to hear. How much time do you have? <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, you know, it's been something that Natasha and I were all talking um, on a Zoom call a week or two ago. And while it's so exciting to be the first, it's also scary and sad that there hasn't been someone that's been in this position before, but the most exciting part about it is that now that it's been done, I hope that the little gay black kid after me can think about what they look like and being in a space. And it's so interesting because there's so many touch points on this panel, but Natasha and I have a touch point of one artist friend, Zanelli Maholi, and that was honestly the artist that changed my life in 2019. And I, that was the first time I felt like I walked into a museum and saw me on a wall somewhere someone as dark as me, someone who was happily to be queer in the writing and the text. Um, they're a South African artist. And 
it, I, I came back from that museum visit and I was like, this is it. Like, I've got to do something different with my life. How is it possible that, you know, like Googling and researching constantly, I mean, I thought it would be something that would happen in 10 years. And then little did I know two and a half years later, I'd be like, you know what? I'm going to do this myself. But it's been a story that, you know, of course, there's some, um, there's some downs that happen, but there are a lot more ups. And the fact that I have a physical space that I want you to walk in and I don't want you to be scared to ask me a silly question in someone's mind about art. Or I don't want you to feel like you can't ask a question about the price. And the great thing about my space is what I love is that, you know, it's on this main street in San Francisco and you can see me in that space, right? Because there's not a lot of people, even when I think about the galleries in SF, I don't see people that look like me when I walk in there. I see art that is on the walls there, but I don't see, you know, other directors, unfortunately, even assistants, artists, liaisons. And that has to change because we're telling so many stories of the artists in the room, but then there's not someone to tell you the story about who they are working in that room. Um, and I really wanted that. When I opened the gallery, I said, if anything I know I can do is I can bring community and I want to make sure that you are fair and accepted when you walk in that space. And that's it. Um, and I think that, you know, when Casey was my inaugural show at the gallery, I loved her work so much. I bought her work. I told Storm to buy her work before I was even making money off of artworks. You know what I mean? And I was like, you need to look at this artist. Um, and I just want it to be a place where you know you feel welcome and accepted. You can see the art world and who you are and what you want to collect and to ask all the questions you want to ask. And I'm hoping that as I grow as a gallerist, my collectors grow with me, the artists grow with me, but it's really about community and the strength that I want to have for all of us. Like, how do we all work together in this playing field so that everyone wins? Continuing in the same theme, you know, it, I really appreciate you've been very open about who you're inviting to this space, right? And you've been very vocal about this isn't just melon for the wealthy and those who can afford this art. Everyone deserves to be able to see this beautiful art. So in that theme, I guess for anyone on this panel, what more can be done about opening up this world to others who might be afraid of it, afraid of asking the questions or feel unworthy or, you know, that they're not deserving of being in this space? What more can be done to keep moving forward? I feel like uh, a lot of responsibility rests on the current culture. Like there's an established culture that people like myself even are walking into. Um, a quick anecdotal story. Like I, I met somebody outside and they're a black artist. And we're like, man, you got to come in here. You got to see what this is all about. And they were just going to go to like local art museums and like anything that was free nearby. But I was like, you got to come check out this paid show. It's going to blow your mind. We brought them inside of here and it did blow their mind, right? Like we started looking around. Um, we stepped into like uh, a gallery and there was some like incredible black iconic art on the walls. Um, I I'm gonna keep the details vague, but we we're seeing something just amazing that was touching us. We we're like people that look like us are making it and look at the art, it's beautiful, it's valid. People around us are saying that and we were exuberant, you know, being a little loud and someone comes up and they're like, ah, you're, can you like be quiet? like stop being so loud. And, you know, they, they, that first time being in a space, you know, you're marginalized instantly, boom, quiet down. And that really just like cut through the air of the room, cut through the electricity we were experiencing, right? 
and we walked out, right? But there was no like, um, hey, you know, the, the culture is like, we speak about it quietly. We can be excited, that's encouraged, but you know, allow other people to enjoy the serenity that you expect to. It wasn't really like that, right? And maybe it's just because the person was frazzled or something like that, but that primacy effect kicked in for those people, right? And that's always gonna be something that was like one of their first interactions. And you know, if we can do anything to prevent that, if you can take a moment to see, see someone who maybe isn't like you or maybe isn't ex ex experienced as you are and really level with them, and understand that, hey, they're not, they're not an expert. They haven't been doing this for 20 years or something like that. Like, um, I think that goes a long way because it could have been a completely different interaction. Um, I'd, I'd just say that there are these intangible things, like the things that you describe, you know, things you can't quite put your finger on, but that make you not feel welcome or that makes you feel uneasy or that makes you feel self-conscious, etc. So there are... I think a lot of those intangible things around, you know, how interaction, just, you know, how, how do you behave in a space, right? right? Um, but I think there's also really the tangible things and there's still so much that can be done in terms of equity within institutions. Um, you know, there should be curators of color in all departments of an institution at you know at every level of an institution etc it's not only about you know um there being a, a black curator for black art right but when we look at our communications department or who's in digital or who's in public relations or you know who's in exhibition design across the board and i think when you when you zoom out and you think about equity really, you know, because it's not, um, uh, it's not about, uh, it's not about a kind of reductive essentialism, but it's rather about, you know, how can we always have different voices and perspectives at the table? Cause everybody's story deserves to be heard and everybody has something to contribute. And, you know, we all have something to learn from making those connections and from understanding our human experience in this much more complex way, you know? And so I think equity is still one of the big, you know, challenges um, that we chip, we need to chip away at um, institutionally and, and in the art world in general, even in the art market. Um, and, you know, we need more art writers also, you know, people who love looking at art, who love thinking about it and who love um, describing that to others, you know? Um, so... I think that that that's a, that for me is is still one of the kind of big, really tangible issues we need to look at is really questions of equity. You know, whether it's yeah, in general. And I would just add that I think invitation is a really important way that um, that we all can think about how do we bring more people to this table, right? Like it's like um, there's I think there may be an assumption that there's one right way to like approach an, an exhibition an artwork and whatnot. And I, the more that we can say there's like no wrong way that it's like, and kind of sit in the ambiguity of certain exhibitions or certain artworks, the better I think that folks will feel that there's, they're not um, breaking any rules. You know, I think there's a lot of kind of like trepidation around like not following a certain set of rules. And if you can just un uh, like peel that off for somebody, um, I think that goes a long way. And I know for me, it was like a sing you know, 
a, a one person that really influenced that. And so we all have the power to influence that. Hi, um, I grew up in Northern California. My whole life was like involved in the arts. Uh, UCLA art major, went to the Hammer and then started working in tech because I need to get generational wealth for myself. So I'm in an interesting position as a, kind of on the collector side, but also have a deep knowledge in the arts. And I live in Sacramento and we're, you know, I'm kind of curious what resources as, you know, Bay Area powerhouses would you recommend for the artists in Sacramento? Because, you know, we're losing galleries left and right. There's really no collector economy there. And, you know, as someone who's trying to bolster this up, do you guys have any advice for maybe neighboring cities to San Francisco and the Bay that could benefit from the exponential wealth that is in the Bay Area that we don't see kind of permeated throughout the region? Well, first of all, I'm gonna give you my card, okay? <laughs> And we're going to work on some things. But Natasha, I know you have... Um, that's a great question because I was... Um, I, I had a meeting with somebody at the Knight Foundation. They did a big conference during Art Miami, which is around the digital transformation in the arts. Um, and it was really so fascinating because... I, I don't mean to sound cliché, but I do think that bringing um, the digital into how we think about community and art and culture and cities um, is going to be really transformative. And, you know, there are people, um, um, there's this group called uh, Africa Mosaic, for instance. I think it's, I think it's called Africa Mosaic. I, I'll, I'll check my notes on my phone. But um, one of the things I learned, for instance, is that there is a group who, kind of mapped within their city, where, where is the connection, the creative connections happening? Not looking at how many museums do we have, how many galleries do we have, how many art spaces do we have, but thinking about who, who are the different communities and where, you know, where are they coming from and how are they experiencing um, art and culture, you know, and then creating a map which completely transformed the city um, because then, you know, it's about serving. Then you know who you're serving. You know what people are going to, you know, what, what they're interested in, what the demographics, what the families are. So I, I actually really do think that digital technology is really going to change, has the potential to really change this idea of space, you know, and art space and art networks. So I, I'm sure that the conference information is available online too. Um, and I will be happy to share my notes because, um, yeah, I, I, I genuinely think that sometimes it's not about opening a space, but sometimes it's maybe about having a festival, you know, sometimes it's maybe about screening some films outdoors, etc. you know, just really site specific sort of, you know, community specific interventions. Thank you. Casey. Um, with the inspiration of your collection, what you're showing here, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Well, thank you so much for the question. Um, so, in the booth C4 is me and Jonathan and another artist, Namita Po, and I can talk a little bit about my work. So, it's uh, print a myself portrait printed on chiffon fabric because I started as a photographer and also live casting uh, my own body part because I'm thinking about 
um, this live casting is like a three-dimensional photography to me. And I really want to push this two-dimensional photography into a three-dimensional sculpture. That's why I combine these two material to talk about my personal journey as an outsider, both immigrant from Taiwan to United States, and also outsider as a scientist to artist, and how this both healing but also violent tearing myself identity apart but reconstruct that kind of process to try to bring some encouragement to people ever need to fight the harmful social no to be able to learn this breaking is also part of the reconstruct and healing that's my work oh I found the reference. Can I just say this on the record? Because I totally got it wrong before. <laughs> it's called Mosaic America, and it's a Silicon Valley nonprofit organization that's moving America from diversity to belonging through intercultural and co-created art. Thank you, Natasha. And thank you all. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you.